You're listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for Plano Pulse with your hosts, Jamie Jolly and Jeff Beckley. Thank you for joining us for Plano Pulse, recorded here at the Plano Chamber office located in the Legacy Texas Business Center. I'm Jamie Jolly, your president and CEO of the Plano Chamber of Commerce. And I'm Jeff Beckley, 2018 board chair of the Plano Chamber. Today, we want to talk about a hot little topic our residents and business community are all very interested in, property taxes. If you've uh, received a property tax notice or have any property tax, you know that it's going up and it continues to go up. I think we should start by covering some of the basics uh, of where we are right now. We really want to kind of create a forum here where we're posing questions, identifying the issues, seeking feedback, and starting that conversation in advance of the legislature meeting next January. Right. And I think it's just such a complex topic. And um, it, it takes a lot of understanding of how the government works and how we fund things like city services and properties, um, sorry, public schools. And so this is kind of a great topic as we lead into, um, like you said, the legislative session and preparing the chamber's legislative agenda. And you're going to help me from getting in the weeds too much. I here. am. You're going to keep it. Yes, uh, you're a CPA. I'm not. So um, I'm going to help make sure that. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get too technical on it, but really, kind of the the key issue as we we as homeowners see it firsthand in that property tax statement that we get generally in the first week of October. And the last few years, it's been about an 8%, 8 to 10, 12%. Some areas, it's up to 15% increase on your homeowner's property tax. Right. So I don't know what your experience has been here in recent years. I, I know you're moving into a new place, so you, you may not have a, a right. longitudinal Well, and I, I think I've, I've heard from our um, residents in our city, you know, the good, good thing is, is property values are going up. So if you are wanting to sell your house, maybe you bought it a couple years ago for one amount, you're going to get a good return on your investment. Uh, the challenge is that that market drive is also driving the appraisals and they're going up. So you're seeing a larger tax bill. Um, even beyond just the appraisal process, the way that tax bill works, and you can probably explain this better than I can, is part of it goes to fund city services. And the largest portion of the tax bill goes to fund our school district. In, in my case, Plano ISD, many people feed off to other school districts in our area. Um, but that's the largest percentage that's of the exactly bill. That's exactly right. That's exactly And right. then there is a small portion that goes to um, college, college, college yes. or depending on where you're living county. at in our county, um, different entities, if you will. So the, the tax bill really helps to fund some pretty vital services in our community. And so looking at how that impacts not just the homeowner that's paying the tax bill or the business um, that's actually paying the tax bill, but where does that money go and, and what is it used for? I think that's probably exactly. just think, as important. I think one, one of the things, well, what we have to really keep in perspective as we're talking about property taxes is what it actually funds. The phenomenal school district that we have here in Plano is funded by property taxes. Right. If we want to maintain our status as one of the premier school districts, not only in Texas, but in the nation, we've got to continue to fund that. And currently there is a Robin Hood element to that where 
Unfortunately, a lot of the increase that we're receiving that our school district receives from property taxes goes off to the state. I say unfortunately, unfortunately for Plano residents, and it, it theoretically gets redistributed to uh, underfunded school districts. And I would say, Jeff, too, just to highlight our school district, we've seen amazing growth in jobs and opportunities here in Plano, and companies are bringing um, their opportunities to us, and they're doing that because of our school district. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've benefited greatly. The business community has benefited greatly. At the same time, um, Plano businesses and and commercial property makes up about 52% of the property tax base here in our city. That's exactly right. So a large portion of that property tax um, that's being collected at the school and the city level, county and so whatever, uh, all the different areas, that is being um, generated from our business community. So, So all the commercial property that we have, not only real estate, but also business personal property, fixed assets, computers, furniture, fixtures, those kind of hard assets that you have inside your businesses here locally are being assessed to tax. That tax is paying for, as we mentioned, largely for our schools, but a lot of that then goes into city services. Um, It goes into our parks, it goes into our fire department, it goes into our police department. So we've gotta be very, careful, we've got to be very aware that if we start looking at things that are going to cap our property tax, um, those are the types of services and amenities that we've grown accustomed to that are really at risk uh, if we get too draconian about controlling property taxes. Well, and you know, I think last um, last interim, we saw that the uh, Senate had a committee that went around the state to really understand some of the challenges in property tax, and they met with... Um, constituents throughout the state of Texas. They met with different taxing entities. They met with cities, school districts to talk about, um, A, how you assess property, B, how you collect the property tax, and C, how does that impact um, your ability to to manage local government, school districts, things like that. Um, Those findings were then shared with the legislature this last session, and there was a lot of talk about property tax reform and what does that look like and how do we take on that challenge. Um, I think as a chamber and a business community, we felt like a very vital part of that conversation that had to go hand in hand was um, public school finance reform. So you can't really talk about property tax reform without talking about the biggest part of property tax, which is school finance. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm glad to see that our governor did appoint um, the Texas Commission on Public School Finance, and um, that group has been meeting in the current interim, and they're hearing from educators about what do we need to run our school districts? What does that funding mechanism and model look like, and how do we fund to create the outcomes that we need for our future workforce. Yeah, and so let's, uh, I I really want to put that piece in perspective because we've got uh, the largest share of our property taxes go to, for Plano residents, uh, folks that live in the PISD, go to pay for the public school um, here in Plano. Currently, um, about 150, over $150 million goes off to the state. The projected budget that the school board just passed actually shows that recapture number, and I'll explain that here in a second, um, goes off uh, $200 million of our property taxes. That's close to a third 
of our property tax that's collected for the school district now is being sent off to the state and the state is actually putting it in a pool to be redirected to, to other um, more underprivileged schools. The, the idea behind recapture, I'm just going to give a brief explanation on that. It's been called Robin Hood, take from the rich district, give to the poor districts, was a way for uh, the state legislature to make sure that the underfunded school districts, that, that, that the overfunded school districts, by theory, are, are helping fund underfunded school districts. And really it's based on property-rich districts and property-poor districts. So the ones say, that yeah. are generating property revenue, I mean, we've got great growth here in, in Plano and we're seeing our property values go up, but that not that is not necessarily what's happening in other parts of our state. That's right, yeah, for, particularly in the rural districts. We have a number of kind of rural districts. They have high cost, high M&O. Uh, in West Texas, for example, where they might have a school with 300 students that they're pulling in from a 50 mile square, uh, 50 square mile uh, area, that's quite an expensive endeavor. Their property taxes may not be going up. So, uh, so anyway, in Plano, because we're a property rich district, we send off a lot of that money to the state to be redirected to help those underfunded school districts. And I think what's interesting is that that model of um Robin Hood, if you will, recapture is based on what does it cost to to fund education back in eight, 1989 or right. late late eighties. Yeah, it was the late 80s, yeah. And we haven't really um, indexed that to today's cost. So I think that's one of the solutions that our legislators are talking about. We're pushing for is how do we index? How do we really know what does it cost to educate a student? And we're not saying that we don't think that. Kids across Texas should have equal opportunities to access great education, but we also want to make sure that that money is not used in different ways than what we want it to be used. Exactly, and that's another key point is uh, 10, 12, 2006, uh, 12 years ago, uh, the state legislature and local, not factoring out federal contributions to public school finance, the state contribution and local contribution was equal. Is about 50-50. Mm -hmm. That percentage has shifted to where now local jurisdictions are picking up 62% of the tab. The state has, while they've increased funding slightly, they haven't kept up with our um, with our attendance growth, with our population growth, with our inflation, and they're now only contributing 38%. So what's happened is this recapture money that we talk about is being used, has been over the last 12 years, redirected to help fund other uh, budget shortfalls in the state legis legislative budget. So that's where we're having a, a real rub. I mean, they don't want to call this a state property tax because a state property tax is illegal. But essentially, that's what this is. Right. And I do think our legislature has a, a, a tough job ahead of them. Um, and when we get back, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll talk a little bit more about property tax um, and what possibly some solutions are going into this next legislative session. And where we go from here, how do we make sure that we're working towards long-term solutions that help fund everything that we intend property tax to fund? Um, but before we do that, let's take a short break and hear from our sponsor. I want a commercial banker who works hard for my money. Scratch that. I want a commercial banker who makes my money work hard for me. At Legacy Texas, we hear you. More importantly, we get you. You expect your banker to work hard. Doing everything possible to make each dollar count, that's when they're really working. At Legacy Texas, our bankers help you maximize every opportunity and put your money to work like nobody's business. Legacy Texas. Change your mind about banks. 
Member FDIC. Welcome back to Plano Pulse. So we've talked a little bit about the property tax situation here in Plano and Collin County, and I think we can all agree that there's room for improvement. There's some good ideas out there that need to be kind of vetted and understood better. And um, let's talk a little bit about how we might address this problem. And I'll start with Jeff really asking you to explain one of the um, major topics that came forward as part of the property tax reform plan that the Senate put forward last session, and that's rollback elections. And how, do, how does that work? What does that mean for the average person out there? Yeah, so the rollback election idea was, was really what was uh, floated out from the Senate commission that they had that you referenced earlier, uh, where they, uh, where it's uh, mandated that cities and um, local juris taxing jurisdictions would be required to go to the voters if the effective, not the effective, if the total tax for the taxing jurisdiction, total tax revenue goes up 4% or more. If their proposed rate increase plus the valuations uh, uh, would would lead to an increase of more than four percent, four percent or more of property taxes, then they would be required to go to the voters and ask for a vote, which seems like a reasonable approach. You know, my property taxes go up four percent. I should be able to vote on that. Yeah, so sure. let's let's go take care of that. Well, if uh, in Plano, as an example, if property values are going up eight percent, uh, you can automatically see the friction there. Uh, the right. city, the local taxing jurisdictions would have virtually no flexibility to adjust their rates. Uh, in fact, in some cases, they may actually be required to lower their rates in order to avoid having to go to an election. Uh, again, what's the big deal? If you go to an election, we all have a say in it. Um, but elections but aren't cheap. Elections aren't cheap. And we hire, we, we vote for our councilmen and for our county commissioners, and we vote for our trustees to represent us. I mean, as a Republican government, uh, that's the way it works. We hire mm -hmm. them to make good decisions for us. The decisions they make for us um, should stand. I don't know that we need to have an election. There's enough voter fatigue as it is to add another voting, uh, you know, an election opportunity over property taxes. Not only does it take control away from our local jurisdictions, but it just adds more votes to the to the agenda. Well, and I think we've been fortunate. We see that, um, I mean, Plano continues to win awards, our city of Plano, for um, outstanding management, um, safest cities in America, things like that. So I feel like as a, a population, our, our government has represented us well. They've been able to utilize those resources. And um, unfortunately, that's not the case in every community in Texas. So right. I'm sure that there are some communities where there's concerns with how they do their taxing and, and how they collect their taxes. But I, but I think the real question is, do, do we have the voters vote directly on each specific item or do we have them vote for the representatives that they want to make the right decisions for them? And I think if you go back to our original founding fathers, the concept behind the Constitution sure. was that this is a republic. It's not a democracy. We don't vote on everything. We vote representatives who go who to city us. council, they go to the school board, and they represent us. Exactly. Right. So another thing that's come up more recently, and um, I know there's been a lot of research by different associations um, on how it would impact the property tax formula, is a consumption tax. 
So on top of our normal 8.25% um, sales tax is what if we were able to either do away with property tax or maybe have a hybrid where you have a, a smaller percentage of property tax collected, but you're collecting more on the consumption side. So every time you go to buy a product or a service, you would pay a higher consumption tax. Yeah, so there's some logic to that. I mean, again, the, the people that, uh, the citizenry that goes out and consumes products, um, you know, there's a certain amount of infrastructure wear and tear that goes with delivering goods to stores. And, and uh, you know, we have to pay for our roads, we have to pay for our streetlights, we have to pay for our freeways and our tollways and so on and so forth. There's some logic to that, but when we when we really kind of boil it down, a consumption tax is very regressive, which means that that's going to affect our lowest economic, our, our most underprivileged citizenry more sure. than it's going to affect those folks that make more money and have more discretionary income. And uh, you know we might debate the the point right. of whether that's fair or not. But we already have one of the highest sales tax rates in the country for us to consider adding a consumption tax on top of that as a way to help, uh, you know, close the gap. Right. Uh, may not be reasonable. We don't have an income tax, which would be another way to do it, but that's constitutionally prevented. So we're in this fix where property taxes really are an important part of our of our revenue stream. Well, and I would also say that I know that some of the research I've seen is that your consumption tax would have to be somewhere between 13% all the way up to 24% in order to do away with property taxes. Yeah. And think about the adverse yeah, effect that would on have business, on business. I mean, right. that would just be catastrophic. Uh, I was in uh, Canada in 1990 1990, December 1990. I was in high school, by the way, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, rub it in. <laughs> so I was six. But um, um, but anyway, when I was there, they actually raised their GST, their general sales tax from, and I was in Alberta at the time, they raised it from 7% to 13% wow. in one day. They basically, December 31st, they rolled the calendar over. And the immediate effect was, you could almost hear a pin drop right. the day after that uh, after that sales tax rate went up that much. Um, it, it took them years to recover from that. Now, you know, there was a lot of criticism at the time. I just believe that that, that is really a, a very, that would have a devastating effect sure. on the business community here. And I, I think something that we've, as a chamber we've done is help to educate all the new people that are moving here as part of relocations on what does your property tax do in Texas? Because some people are moving from states where they have an employee tax or they have a state income tax. Right. So they're expecting not just the property tax bill, but other tax bills. And when you sit down and really explain to them that this is your tax bill, this is what funds education and your county and your city, um, a light bulb does come on for a lot of people that they understand, okay, well, I get that that's my only tax bill. So that, that would explain why exactly. the property tax is higher in Texas than in other places. We'll talk with clients that have relocated from New York City. Is I like to use that example because you've got a state income tax, you've got a, um, a borough tax, you've got a New York City tax, you've got property tax, you've got sales tax, and when you add the whole thing up, it is quite a bit more in taxes they pay to their local and state authorities than they did by moving to Texas. And a lot of folks we're seeing move from those other places. That is often the driver that's leading them here. Yeah, I pay more property tax, but when I add it all up, 
Right. It's really not a big deal. Yeah. And and let's talk a little bit. One of the ideas that have been thrown out there is a tax, I'm sorry, is a cap on property tax. And I know um, I previously worked with the Realtor Association. We talked a lot about property tax caps. What you, What is your idea on that? Yeah, so uh, there are actually a number of exemptions. I think what you're referring to are more things like uh, homestead exemptions. And, and you have homestead exemptions for, in Plano, uh, you have City of Plano, you have a homestead exemption for over 65, you have uh, if you're disabled, you have the ability to lock in your property tax. What that does is it basically locks in your valuation, or in the case of just a straight homestead exemption, it gives you a spe specified amount. Because I'm a homeowner and I live in this house, I get to exempt this amount from my property tax assessment. It doesn't prevent property tax increases from occurring, but at least you get the homestead exemption, you apply for it. Once you get it and you stay in that home, you're able to at least get some of your bill reduced. One of the ideas that we've heard floated around in past years is, well, maybe we need to have a homestead exemption that tethers your original purchase price to maybe some sort of a CPI increase so that you could expect that your property tax bill would never go up more than 4% or whatever the yeah. CPI rate would be. Um, that sounds like a good idea in theory. Uh, the reality is that it would create major uh, dislocations in in uh, property tax assessments for, in just within the same neighborhoods within, you would have great disparities between Each homeowners. Property. Yeah, exactly. A new homeowner comes in and they might be paying three times as much as their neighbor because their neighbors lived there for 30 years. And it really disconnects market value from the property tax formula, which I think would have a very uh, negative effect. Well, and I would say I applaud um, Plano and our city government because they are using every tool in the tool chest in order to give some of those um, tax breaks, if you will, to the citizens of Plano. Not every community adopts the same policies. And so we've seen it um, really be a positive thing to drive people to want to move here. We have one of the lowest tax rates in the county as yep. a city. Yep. Um, and our, our mayor loves to tell that it's it's your monthly tax bill to the city of Plano is less than your cell phone bill, but yet you get all the public services and um, safety and, and amazing libraries and recreation centers and all that's included in that little portion of your that's tax right. bill. Right. So It's actually less than my Starbucks bill every oh, month. So. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, you know, again, on, on the idea of uh, homestead exemptions, Plano does use every uh, tool in the, in the toolkit. Uh, when it comes to the, the comment that you'll hear occasionally of, well, this is a couple that's on a fixed income and they're getting taxed out of their home. Plano actually has a homestead exemption for 65 and older where your, your property tax valuation is locked in until you die or sell the home or move out for whatever reason. You can predict what your property taxes are gonna, you have to apply for it, but once you've applied for it, you can pay your bill quarterly uh, you can pay the same, it's going to be the same amount year after year. And so uh, the argument that fixed income folks are being priced out of their home from property taxes, I mean, there may be a few anecdotes here and there of sure. examples where that happened where somebody lost a job. We don't want that to happen, of course, but we need to be careful not to make the exception kind of prove the rule because it, it, you're going to have exceptions. And, uh, and I don't think it's, uh, I think it's intellectually disingenuous to use a, a single example like that as 
as uh, proving the proving the rule. So. Well, and I think that gives um, what we see in our community here is a lot of people want to age in place. They came here, they brought their families here at a young age so they could take advantage of our great school district. Um, their kids go off to college, start their careers, and um, parents don't want to get up and leave Plano. And so having a tool like that where they can lock in a tax rate that helps That's them exactly. to be able to remain in our community and stay in their home as long as they are possible that's possible and that they that's want right. to. So And one other thing that I want to make sure we address too, you you touched on it earlier is the breakdown of business versus residential property tax. I think you have a figure uh, of how much businesses contributed for Local property taxes, what's the Right, 52% of the um, tax base, property tax is paid by our commercial and business sector. Right. So um, a lot of people will ask, you know, I think there's a lot of thoughts out there that citizens should be able to weigh in on this process, but we feel like as a business community, when you're you're paying 52% of the tax, the business community needs to have a seat at the table and be a part of that conversation. And they're really helping to fund education and public safety and things like that. But what you also find is that businesses don't utilize those services as much as homeowners That's do. Right. That's so right. So they're not educating exactly kids right. directly. Those kids are actually being educated out in the, the homes and the areas where they live within our region. And so um, I do think businesses understand that value. They, they want to be at the table, they want a seat at the table, they want to help contribute to the success of our cities Absolutely. and our school districts, but we also want to make sure that doesn't get out of whack. That's exactly um, right. I think is and that some of the solutions that are being thrown out there could possibly negatively impact businesses and put a further burden on the business community to foot the overall bill, if you will. Absolutely. I think one of the dangers that we've got to really be sensitive to is that Businesses don't necessarily vote. Their right. employees vote. Their manage the managers vote. You know, stockholders if they live in the community vote. But the business themselves, while they're picking up fifty-two percent of the tap, they don't get fifty-two percent of the vote. Correct. They they help bring jobs. They certainly bring tax base, as you've pointed out. They contribute back to the community by giving uh, through philanthropy. Um, I I just want to be real uh, clear. That while they, while businesses, we business owners, are picking up a good share of the local tab, um, we need to make sure that our legislatures hear our businesses loud and clear, even though they aren't the ones that are directly going to the polls. And you know, Jeff, that's a, a great segue as we kind of wrap up today. Um, one of the things that we're working really hard on is helping our employers educate their employees on the whole voting process. We have a very low voter turnout in general in the state of Texas. And um, well, and even at the local level, I mean, sure. we have a phenomenally low turnout. Now, I think in the last local election, we maybe had 15% turnout. Less than 15%. Less than 15%, yeah. but I mean, typically it's been the six to 9% range. Right. I mean, that's appallingly low. And so we want to make sure that our employers have tools in order to educate their employees, not necessarily tell them how to vote exactly. on a, a candidate or an issue, but really talk to them about the issues, understand all sides of the issues, make sure they understand how to vote. As people move into our community from other states, our process is different than other states. So we wanna make sure they understand how to register and what process and the timeline exactly. is for that. I'm um, also sharing resources with them on uh, different 
websites and entities out there that will really tell you the um, budget impact to some of the different ordinances or legislative priorities, things like that. So um, we've really been active in that area and making sure um, one of the initiatives we've partnered on with the Collin County Business Alliance is our Collin County Votes initiative. And nonpartisan. That, right, nonpartisan. The, the goal is to really educate the voter. We've put videos together. We've put um, resources as far as links to different websites for all the different candidates. Um, we'll be relaunching that for the November elections as we go into the general. Um, but I think that's a great resource that our employers can share with their employees just to become more educated when they get ready to show up at the polls. And so I think employers, many employers, especially uh, smaller to mid-sized employers, might be a bit apprehensive about uh, pursuing the advocacy or at least encouraging voting among their employees because they don't want to feel like they're in a position of trying to influence them how to vote and there are some pretty clear regulations that you don't uh, want to cross to, to make sure that you're staying nonpartisan. But there's an awful lot that employers can do to share information, as you mentioned, and how, how to go out and register to vote and where the polling places are that are certainly within limits. And we would love to see employers um, engaging in that more right. actively. And we'll go ahead and, um, and share information as we get closer to the elections on how employers can do that. As you can tell, this is a subject that uh, we're both very passionate about. We feel like it's a very important topic for our business community. And we could probably go on and on discussing this for another few hours, but it is time to wrap up for today. But we, in the meantime, we really want to hear what you think about property taxes. We've raised some questions here. We've certainly presented some issues, and we hope that you uh, will engage in the dialogue that we're trying to promote here. Uh, so help us be part of the solution. Provide us some feedback. What questions do you have? What issues do you want to see? brought forward from a business perspective. We'd love to hear that. You can certainly do that as well the first Wednesday of every month here at the Chamber. It's the place to be in Plano <laughs> the first Wednesday of every month at 7.30 a.m. It's bright and early, but we serve coffee, so please come join us. It's our public policy committee meeting, and we have local leaders, we have business leaders, uh, we get a number of the issues out each month. We'll generally have a topic that we'll cover. Property taxes will certainly be on an upcoming agenda. So mark your calendars. First Wednesday, our next meeting is actually August 1st. And that's a Wednesday, as I mentioned before, 7.30 a.m. here at the Chamber. Another couple of things I would bring to your attention, um, we do have a member survey that will go out in August, and um, we will be circulating that to help us identify the issues that are important to our business community so that we can draft our legislative agenda. Also, um, our Plano First Executive Breakfast Series in August will be on this topic of property tax and school finance, uh, public school finance reform. So we encourage you to join us in August for that Plano First program. Uh, thank you all for tuning in today to Plano Pulse. Please let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to tune in for our next episode later this month. Hashtag Chamber Works. Thank you. Thank you.